following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. What exactly is a healing hotspot? Well, we all know what a Wi-Fi hotspot is, don't we? A Wi-Fi hotspot is a physical location where you gain access to the internet. In fact, we've been using these little mini cones, these pylons, as a way of illustrating this physical space that uh, is a Wi-Fi hotspot. Now, obviously, your typical Wi-Fi hotspot is much larger than this, but this represents a physical zone, and inside that zone, you gain access to the Internet. By the way, one of you folks sent me this. It was quite funny, comic. The Wi-Fi hotspot has brought our family closer together. See, they have a little small Wi-Fi zone just on the couch there. Well, the reality is we're talking not about a Wi-Fi hotspot, but a healing hotspot. The healing hotspot is a term that we've invented for the series. The healing hotspot is not a physical location. It's a, a spiritual location, if you will. Think of it as a relationship zone. It's a relationship zone where people can obtain access to the restorative power of God. The healing hospital is a term describing the experience of having the strongest possible relationship connectedness between you and God. The healing hotspot is the relationship zone where your spirit and God's spirit are connecting as clearly and as powerfully as possible. So when someone says to you, hey, how's your relationship with God? The ideal answer is to say, hey, I'm living in the healing hotspot. Now, the challenge with living in the healing hotspot is this. Just like the Wi-Fi hotspot where we can wander in and we can wander out of the Wi-Fi zone, and the farther we get away from that Wi-Fi hotspot, the weaker our signal, in a similar way, we can wander in and out of the healing hotspot. We can experience a sense of increased or decreased connectedness with God's Spirit. So here's the question we've been asking for the last few weeks. Are you living in God's healing hotspot? What's the relationship strength between you and God? Now, someone might be thinking, okay, hey, Darren, I can tell when I'm in a Wi-Fi hotspot by looking at the number of bars on my phone, but how can I tell when I'm in the healing hotspot? What should I look for as a sign that I'm in a healthy relationship zone with God? That's what we've been discovering in this series. This series has been all about learning how to recognize, remain in, or if we're outside, return to God's healing hotspot. And we learned that the biblical coordinates, as we've called them, in finding God's healing hotspot can be found in one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's on your outline, it's on the side screens. If my people, this is God speaking, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and will heal their land. In this verse, we find all of the information that we need to retain, restore, renew, and revitalize our relationship with God. Now, we began a few weeks ago by highlighting the tiny two-letter word that begins this verse, just the word if. And we learned there, if, then. It's a contractual statement that God is making. And we pointed out that first week, God is saying, if you do X, then I will do Y. 
And we learned that first week, that living in the healing hotspot means that we need to recognize our role. We need to recognize that we have a choice. We have a decision to make. And God responds to our decisions. I'm experiencing as much of God as I want. Week two, we highlighted the phrase, my people who are called by my name. And we learned that remaining in or returning to the hot spot means that we need to not just recognize our role, but we also need to recognize our reality. The reality is this, as followers of Christ, we are God's creation, my people. But we're more than just God's creation, we are also God's children, my people who are called by my name. And so we learned that that second week that special honor is placed upon us and special access is granted to us as followers of Jesus. Week three, we highlighted the phrase, will humble themselves. And we learned on that week that living in the healing hotspot means choosing humility. And that means acknowledging our limitations and God's lordship. Week four, we taught on and pray. We learned that prayer is the language of the healing hotspot. Prayer is bringing our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams, our requests to God himself and trusting him with the results. Last week, we highlighted the phrase, and seek my face. And we learned that we need to not just talk to God, but we need to be transformed by God as well. And that brings us to the final phrase in the Second Chronicles passage, the final portion of the biblical coordinates for God's healing hotspot, and turn from their wicked ways. Now, this final portion is where many people stumble, however, because as your outline says, living true to today's passage requires a radical dose of self-awareness. Now, what do we mean by self-awareness? To be self-aware is to be in touch with and honest about your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. To be self-aware is to have a clear and true sense of how you're presenting yourself to the world around you. To be self-aware is to pay attention to what and to how you're interacting with others. Have you ever met someone who seem to have no sense of self-awareness whatsoever. Are you sitting next to them right now? (laughs) I've met someone like this. In fact, I recently spent nine hours of my life sitting in front of just such a person on an airplane, and it almost cost me several years of my life in prison. The person sitting behind me on this flight had no sense of self-awareness at all. Now, I never actually met her. I never had a single conversation with her, but I know everything about her. Her name was Chandra. Chandra loved to talk, and when it came to talking, Chandra had one volume level, loud. Everything she said was loud. Every conversation she had was loud. Every word that came out of her mouth was Every response to every question she was ever asked was given in a tone that was Every thought that flittered across her mind was spoken out. And when it was spoken out, it was spoken out in a tone that was You know her. You met her. (laughs) And when I say every thought, I mean Every thought. 
Her thoughts about her husband, Raymond, and what color looks best on him, blue. How poorly her boss, his boss was treating him. How he always leaves marks on the bathroom mirror when he brushes his teeth, stupid Raymond. Her thoughts about her children, Tina, Toby, and Tyler. What each child likes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What each child did last summer during their summer vacation. How each child, what they're going to dress up for in Halloween this year. What each child got on the report card last year. What each child thinks about Justin Bieber getting married. She loudly shared her thoughts about her sister Angela and Angela's upcoming pregnancy, giving birth. Apparently, Angela throws up twice a day and has a strange and insatiable craving for buttered asparagus. What made it worse was Chandra was not only loud, but she was expressive. She not only spoke with her mouth, she also spoke with her hands, waving them around and banging them down on the seat tray in front of her, which is the very seat tray that was attached to the back of my seat. You see where I'm going. Chandra had no self-awareness whatsoever, but me, I was very self-aware. Trust me on this. I was self-aware the entire flight. I was aware that I was dangerously close to standing up, turning around, and stuffing a pillow in her mouth so we could all have one minute's peace. I tell you, folks, if it wasn't for my agape training here at Broadway Church, I would be in a, I'd be in a prison in Thailand right now, I swear to you. Chandra had no sense of self-awareness. Chandra was not paying attention to how her thoughts, her feelings, and her actions were affecting the world around her. When it comes to today's passage, it requires that you and I be very self-aware. If we're going to remain in or return to God's healing hotspot, we need to be in touch with and honest about our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. Look at today's passage again. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. Then I'll forgive their sin. Then I'll heal their land. When I look inside myself, when I'm honest with myself, with what I see and I feel and I do, I have to admit this. I have desires inside of me that can only be described as wicked. Now, by wicked, I don't mean how the hipsters used to use the word. Hey, I love that new ride at, the, at, at PNE. It's wicked. No, that's not what we're talking about. By wicked, I mean the biblical definition of the word. The word wicked in this passage is a translation of the ancient Hebrew word that means an adversary, bad, malignant, or evil. Wicked describes something that or someone that's destructive and malicious. Wicked describes something or someone that's adversarial, someone that's at war. Well, at war with whom? Against God. That's whom. Wicked is the word to describe any act or attitude that's contrary to who God is or what God has designed. On the side screens, I've got a picture of a target with, with a dart, you know, a, 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 an arrow, a dart, it's a bullseye. That center of a target is called the bullseye. Now, here's the thing. That bullseye, that circle in the center, represents God's pure and holy nature. The bullseye, the center of the target, represents everything that God 
has designed for us. But anything outside of that bullseye represents wickedness. Anything outside of that bullseye represents anything that is contrary to or doesn't measure up to God's design. Anything outside the bullseye is wicked. It's adversarial, it's bad, it's malignant, it's evil. Now, there's another word that the Bible has for this area of wickedness, and that word is sin. The word sin in the Bible, the New Testament was, transla- was written in, in ancient Greek, and the word is hamartia, which literally means to miss the mark. So you can see the, the visual, the, the metaphor that's being used here. To, to sin means to miss the mark, to not hit a bullseye with your deeds, with your attitudes, with your actions, with your life. And so this word sin means evil, wickedness. Listen to what the Bible has to say about sin. It says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see the word picture? All have sinned and fall short. They miss the mark. They don't hit a bullseye with their lives. All of us. The Bible says in 1 John 1.8, If we, if you and I, claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Truth isn't in us. We're lying to ourselves. When I'm honest with myself, when I'm honest with God, when you're honest with yourself, when you're honest with God, when we together are honest, we have to admit, I have wicked ways. I know what it is to sin. It's pretty sad, isn't it? Well, buckle up because it's about to get worse. And what makes it worse is this. Wickedness separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. As your outline says, we can't have a relationship with God and cling to our sinful, our wicked ways at the same time. You cannot have a relationship with God and cling to your wickedness, cling to your sinful ways at the same time. Think of it in these terms. A man and woman get married, their husband and wife, but the wife has a severe peanut allergy. She goes into anaphylactic shock if she's anywhere near peanut butter. She has the EpiPen, the whole thing. She needs to be rushed to a hospital. It's life or death. So what does her husband do? He makes himself a nice, thick peanut butter and jam sandwich. And he slathers on the peanut butter, double peanut butter on both sides of the bread. And then he eats it. But he's got peanut butter all over his hands and all over his mouth. He's just sloppy with the peanut butter. And then he walks up to his wife and says, dear, I love you. Give me a kiss. And he hugs her and gives her a big kiss on the lips. Seriously? If you are married to a woman with a condition like that, you cannot have a relationship with your wife and cling to your peanut butter at the same time. In a similar way, we cannot have a relationship with God and cling to our sin at the same time. It can't be done. In the Bible, the Bible equates wickedness and wicked ways with darkness and God's ways with light. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him, from God, and we declare to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. Now, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. 
Light and darkness cannot dwell together. Wicked ways can only be done in darkness. And there's no darkness in God's presence. There's no darkness in the healing hotspot. The darkness is outside the healing hotspot. Now, someone's out there, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Darren, so let me get this straight. God's pure, God's sinless, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. That's right, you got it. Okay, Darren, and you're saying that wickedness, it's adversarial. Wickedness is living in opposition to God. God's light, and so wickedness is is darkness. It's sin, it's missing the mark, and it separates us from God's presence. Yes, well done, you're getting it. Okay, Darren, and you're telling me that all of us have sinned, that all of us have walked in wicked ways, and all of us have fallen short of God's desire and God's design for our lives. That's right, all of us. But by the way, I'm not the one telling you this. The Bible is telling you this. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God in Scripture, is telling you this. Listen to how God wrote it through the Apostle Paul. There is no one righteous, not even one. I know your older brother thinks he's perfect, but he's not. No one's righteous, not even one. You say, okay, Darren, if all this is true, answer me this. Why would God do this to us? This, this is just cruel. Why would God create us to have relationship with him, but that create us so that we can't have relationship with him. Why would he give me desires that are sinful and evil, and when I follow these desires, it leads me away from him? He's playing a game with us, bait and switch. Why would God do this? This is just plain cruel. The famous Scottish poet, Robbie Burns, put it this way. He wrote, Thou knowest that thou thou hast formed me with passions wild and strong. And listening to their witching voice has often led me wrong. Now, Robbie Burns was on to something, but Robbie was only half right. He was right about one thing. We do have passions that are wild and strong. Right on, Robbie, you're right. And when we listen to them, they do lead us wrong, absolutely. But Robbie was wrong about another thing. These wild desires do not come from God. These wild desires spring from a nature of our own making, a nature of our own choosing. These desires spring from what the Bible refers to as the flesh. That's the literal word the Bible uses to describe these desires. Or some Bible translations call it the sinful nature. Some change the word flesh to sinful nature because flesh in this context, the Bible is not talking about your body. Your body is not wicked. Your body is not evil. Your body is not sinful. The Bible does not teach that. By flesh, the Bible is referring to an inner voice, a power within us that draws and pulls us towards wickedness. That's why some translations translate the word flesh as sinful nature. Because we're not talking about something physical. We're talking about a magnetic force in our soul that's constantly seeking to drag us down and draw us away from the things of God, to pull us out of the healing hotspot. God didn't give us this sinful nature. It was created when we chose to sin. When we opened the door to this power, it made its home within us. Now listen. 
I don't need to tell you about the sinful nature. I know it very well. You know it very well. You know what it feels like to be tempted by the flesh. It's working within you and working upon you all the time. The Apostle Paul in the Bible described it well. See if you can recognize any of these symptoms of the sinful nature. Paul said this in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. He said the acts of the sinful nature, the flesh, are obvious. Here's, here's a list. And this list is not exhaustive, though it's exhausting. He says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, that's putting you above everyone else's desires, dissensions, divisions, factions, envy, oh, I wish I had what she had, I wish I had what he had, drunkenness, orgies. If you've dabbled in any of that to any degree, you have been infected by wickedness and you have, like me, a sinful nature. And here's where things get even worse. You're thinking, oh, Darren, why did I come to Broadway today? Here's where it gets worse. On our own, we can't get rid of the flesh. On our own, we can't get rid of the sinful nature. We're stuck with it. Oh, we can resist it now and then, but on our own, we can never entirely remove it. On our own, we are powerless to defeat it. But that's where the good news finally kicks in. Because that's why Jesus came to earth. See, Jesus saw our predicament. Jesus, God in flesh. God who took on human form, the man Jesus of Nazareth. He came to earth and he lived a sinless life. He did not have a sinful nature. He never sinned. He was himself perfect and sinless. And so what he did was he came to offer his perfection in exchange for our imperfection. See, remember we learned sin separates us from God? What Jesus did was, as he offered his life and death, what he did was he said, listen, the wages that sin pays, I'm quoting the Bible now, the wages that sin pays you is death. Separation from God is what death means. The wages that sin pays you is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's how I liken it. Jesus, as he hung on that cross and died in our place, was like a sponge for my sin. It's like a cloth that wiped all that peanut butter off the face and the hands of that husband. He cleanses us from our sin. He pays our moral debt. That which separated me from God has now been absorbed by the perfection of Jesus. And he died because the wages that sin pays is death. He died. But because he himself was sinless, death had no hold and right over him. He rose from the dead. And now he says, I am offering you cleansing, forgiveness. I have paid your moral debt. I've cleansed your slate clean. And now if you'll accept my gift, and you'll have a chance to do this in 10 minutes. If you'll accept my gift of forgiveness in new life, here's what I'll give you. I will not just forgive you. I will come and live within you by my spirit. So... You still have your sinful nature, but now instead of relying on your willpower to resist the sinful nature, which doesn't work, 
Now my spirit will live within you, and by my spirit I will give you strength to live above your sinful nature. By the spirit you can put to death the deeds of the flesh, the Bible says. And see, so here's the dynamic now. I'm talking to Christ followers at this moment. You're here and you're a follower of Jesus. You have the Spirit of God living within you here in this healing hotspot. But here's what you and I do every now and then. I'm in the healing hotspot, relationship connectedness with God, but I have this sinful nature. And every now and then, I wander out of the healing spot from hotspot, from the lightness into the darkness. And I turn my back and then I dabble and I dabble, depending on your lifestyle, your past, there are different things within this sinful nature that I like to touch on, that I like to dabble with, that I like to slip back into, that I like to play with, and I deal with these things, and I'm in the darkness. And notice my position. When I am dwelling upon and living in the sinful nature, my back is to the presence of God. And that's where today's verse comes in. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear the prayers, forgive their sins, and will heal them. God is saying, if you want to dwell in my light, you've got to let go of your darkness because light and darkness don't dwell together. If you want to remain in or return to the healing hotspot, you need to turn from your wicked ways. And that brings us to today's big idea where we seek to summarize the teaching in a simple sentence. Here's today's big idea. You can't receive from God when your back is turned to God. When my back is turned to God and I am dabbling in my sinful nature, I can't receive from God. You can't receive from God when your back is turned to God. You have to turn from your wicked ways to return to the healing hotspot. Interesting, that word turn is what the Bible literally means by the word repent. When you hear repent, it literally means turn. Turn from your wickedness and face God once again. When you repent, you turn from your wicked ways, you face to face with God once again. And that's how you receive from him. We learned last week that it's when you're face to face, that's where the transformation takes place. But the opposite is also true. You can't receive from God if your back is turned to God. Well, what will you experience if you turn from your wicked ways and face God again? What will you experience? Let me tell you what you won't experience first. You won't see a God who's angry with you. You won't hear a God who is shouting at you like Chandra. You won't experience a God who's rejecting you. That's what you won't experience if you turn from your wicked ways and face him. You won't experience that. Here's what you will experience. I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive you. I'll heal you. If you turn from your wicked ways, if you walk from darkness into the light, if you call upon the mercy of Jesus Christ, you will experience the purest love imaginable. If you turn from your wicked ways, if you turn from the darkness and into the light, if you fall upon the grace of Jesus Christ, God will hear your prayers. God will heal your heart. So do you need healing? Do you need a fresh sense of God's power and presence and provision in your life? 
He is wanting and waiting to unleash everything that you need right now. Let's bow our heads together, please, as we close.